Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey, it's Rebecca. Before we begin the episode, I want to extend a special thanks to the folks at WUNH at the University of New Hampshire for allowing us to use their studio this week. Also, if you've subscribed to this podcast via iTunes or another feed, please stick with us. We're working on a special follow-up episode that will drop next week and may do some episodes around this case as developments happen. Thanks for the listening that you've done, for leaving some great reviews on iTunes, and for your email. I'd love to hear from some more of you, so keep it up. You can find contact information on our new website, crimewriterson.com. Enjoy the show. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and you're listening to Crime Writers on Serial. This is a special podcast, homage podcast, about the blockbuster spinoff of This American Life. Reporter Sarah Koenig's 12-week look at the conviction of Adnan Syed for the 1999 murder of Hay Min Lee. I work in public radio, but my other life is that of a true crime writer, and I thought it might be fun to sit down with some of my fellow crime writers to discuss Serial, our thoughts on the case and the way Sarah has unpacked it. Returning this week is my real-life partner in crime and co-author Kevin Flynn, who was a longtime TV reporter before writing Wicked Intentions and then a few books with me, including Our Little Secret. Thanks for coming in to chat, Kevin. It's good to see you again, Rebecca. Also with us is Laura Bricker, also a former reporter, a licensed PA a defense investigator and the author of the true crime book Lie After Lie. Hi, Laura. Hi there. Finally, we have Toby Ball as the sole fiction author among us. We rely on him to let us know how lucky he is that he never has to talk to any real people to write his books. His latest book is Invisible Streets. Thanks so much for coming back in, Toby. Thank you. Okay, let's get into it. The final episode of Serial. I promise we'll talk about just about everything we heard, but let's pull the room. On a scale of 1 to 10, rate the episode. Give me a quick sentence on why it earned that rating. Laura, you first. Eight, because the Innocence Project came back. Okay. Toby? Uh, Eight, because I don't think they tried to do anything false. Kevin? I'll also give it an eight. I thought the ending was unexpectedly satisfying. All right. Well, I'll tell you guys, I'm giving it a nine and a half. I'm going there because I agree the ending was satisfying. For me, there was only one piece missing, and that only rated half a point minus for me. Okay, this was an incredibly ambitious, packed episode. I've listened to a lot of radio. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. This episode was about 55 minutes, and there were, by my count, seven real, like, fleshed-out parts. There was Dawn. There was the Josh and Jay part. There was sort of the evidence recap. There was speculation. There was logic. There was Deidre. And then there was the ending. Like, it was a lot in episode. So... Let's start with that. Um, my fear kind of going into this when I saw the episode was called, you know, what we know was that we would hear 55 minutes of what we didn't know. Approaching the episode and hearing sort of her come out of the gate with something with Dawn. For me, that was sort of like an oh my God moment. How do you guys feel about that? Toby, why don't you start? Well, I thought it was good that uh, in this episode, we heard from a lot of voices that had sort of been alluded to or that you kind of knew were there in the background, and they finally got a voice or at least a description of what they were up to. So, I, you know, I think a lot of loose ends were sort of tied up. They were sort of tied up. Sarah tells us that as recently as this weekend, she was still <clears throat> conducting interviews. She was still gathering information. You know, as as somebody who's written stories and somebody who's reported stories, how did it make you feel as a listener to hear that, Kevin? Well, I think it really speaks to, you know, the whole idea of this serialized way of telling the story, which is something we really have to get into. Because if this were a book or if this were 12 episodes that were canned, there's no way that all of a sudden Don is going to come in in the middle of or Josh because now I've heard about it. Usually we would have written the book and we said we never got to hear from Don and that remains um, a loose end. At now, you know, because everybody says, hey, Josh, if you heard about this podcast, um, they're able to get in 
and you know add some more information. So I thought that that was really it really speaks to sort of the power of this particular form of storytelling. To me, it's like painting a still life where all the bananas keep moving and then people come over and start rearranging the apples. I mean, it's very hard to do, but it's very interesting to listen to. Laura, I'd love your thoughts about this. Um, Sarah is transparent in this opening about her thoughts not being fixed because she's still getting new information. Like as a listener, how did that make you feel? And as a writer, how did that make you feel? Um, well, I guess I was expecting less from the episode based on that statement from her. I was actually pretty satisfied with this episode, but I, I agree with Kevin. It's you know people are hearing about this podcast that is getting a lot of attention. People are coming forward, kind of crawling out of the woodwork, and you never know who might come forward. We are going to talk about Don first because that was the first thing that we sort of heard about. Yeah, we heard from Don, but we didn't actually hear Don's voice. Uh, I was walking the dogs when I was listening to this episode, as I always do, and that was the I heard from Don where I. I hit pause, picked up my phone and texted Kevin, OMG, 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 because I felt like huge missing piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah, definitely. I guess I would I would like to hear his voice. Um, I, I hate to say this about Don, but it, he, he seems a little creepy to me. I mean, what kind of guy is dating this high school girl? And it just, it seemed a little bit off to me. And I thought, I guess I want, you know, I would like to hear his voice to hear what he sounded like, because the image I had in my mind was kind of a creepy older guy dating this high school girl working for his mom at the store at the mall. And his story wasn't completely consistent. And, you know, I, I don't know. What what are your thoughts about the, the Don section overall, Toby, and, and sort of the the Sarah doing Don that, that we heard? Uh, I thought it was interesting in that Don, it seemed like he kind of intersected with this whole story just a little bit. You know, he had a very brief relationship with Hay. And then, very brief, like days-long relationship. Right, and right. he says he still loves her, which right, I thought was... Very affecting, but it sounds like he was at a, a time when he was having self-esteem issues or something, and that she kind of built him up. Anyway, um, but that so he he dated her very briefly, and then he kind of gets he assumes he's going to be a suspect, but it, it doesn't seem like he was considered a suspect for very long. But then he gets pulled into the trials, and is uh, you know uh, surprised by the way that he's treated by the prosecutor, and that the prosecutor really wants him. Yurik, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the prosecutor really wants him to portray Adnan in a certain way. And when he doesn't do that, Yurik uh, gets very angry at him and yells at him, which I, you know, I got the sense that he found this kind of eye opening. I mean, Yurik pops up a couple of times through this entire episode series. And, you know, if I have frustrations with that, it's that it almost seems like we don't spend enough time looking at sort of Yurik's potential misbehavior here. I mean, my recollection is that Yurik was also the one who told the court that Asia was basically recanting her her affidavit. And then we hear Sarah say in this episode that Asia stands by her original affidavit. Kevin, did you pick up on that? Yeah. I mean, there seems to be an awful lot of questions about the prosecutor between getting Jay an attorney and, um, you know, like the, the Asia hearing. And then like that he was yelling at Don about you didn't do a good enough job. I mean, he's basically saying, you know, that he wants to coach the witness to say X, Y, or Z. There's a lot of questions about his professional behavior. Um, And while Sarah can't come out and, you know, legally accuse him of doing X, Y, or Z, I mean, I think the listeners are left to um, infer that – this guy had it in for Adnan and maybe a way that he was willing to bend the rules. As you mentioned, Laura, we didn't hear Don's voice. We only heard Sarah telling us what he said. And she actually quoted him because she would even quote sort of like his misspeaking and then correcting himself in the middle of the sentence. I agree with you that not hearing his voice leaves a lot of room for interpretation in terms of, you know, the story he told and who he was. It struck me as strange that when he was told Hay was missing, that he would, would immediately say, I knew I would be a suspect. You know, a suspect in what, exactly? Um, you know, that he told her that Hay wanted to spend the whole next day with him, but we also knew that Hay had a television interview at school the next day. So there were, what else popped out at you, Laura, about that conversation that, that seemed a little off? Well, in terms of just, just the fact I, I'm going back to again is um, that this older guy is dating this younger girl and that he was so quick to think he was going to be a suspect because, you know, that makes me think, was there something else going on that shouldn't have been going on that he was feeling nervous about or had a guilty conscience about? Um, And, you know, his mom was his boss. That definitely is something I would have checked up on to see if there was some independent way to verify where he was um, other than his mother. 
um, as to where he was that day. But it just it just overall, I really wish I had heard his voice because I think that would have helped me to put together a more complete picture of him and also kind of get more of a read on him as a person. Uh, you know, because from what I'm hearing with her describing him, he just comes across as sounding to me like kind of a sketchy older guy meeting young girls at the mall. But, you know, he may not necessarily be that character. I, You know, that's the character I've created in my mind based on what I do know of him. Right. And there were, you know, another detail. And Toby, I was wondering if you picked up on this because you, you seem to the police stuff really sometimes seems to like stick out with you. Uh, that Sarah showed or told Don about the note in Hay's car, and he had never heard about this before. Wouldn't you think that when the police talked to him, they would say, "Hey, why did she have a note written to you in her car?" You know, had did, did that did that stick out to you at all, or did? Yeah, I remember hearing that and thinking that it would serve as as a piece with the idea that the police came up with their narrative and the things that didn't fit with their narrative, which was that Adnan had done it whatever it is called, bias. Mm-hmm. Um, confirmation, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias, yeah. right. Um, that, that, that may have played a part. You know, when I, when I was thinking about Don, I was trying to put myself in his place and, you know, dating a girl for, for just a few weeks. And days, she, really. Days. Their first okay. date was, yeah. the, was, what, one day, the first? And then they, the first, and she, she was killed she on the 13th. She disappeared on the 13th. Yeah. All right, so less than two weeks. And so, you know, you've barely started a relationship with her, and she disappears, and it's just got to be a strange place to be because your connection can only be so deep after that amount of time. But you are connected. Right. It would look weird to be like weeping at the funeral. Or, you know, there's like, a, you know, there's a lot of things that maybe if, if you'd watched a lot of Law and Order, you'd be thinking about that would be sort of like running through your head. right? Well, but that's what I think. I mean, I don't think it's unusual that Don thought right away or very early on that the police would look at him as a suspect because I, I – you know, I think you can't have it both ways. You can't say it was unusual that Adnan didn't think he'd be a suspect, and and Don did. Um, I mean, we've all watched enough Law and Order to know that if your loved, if your you know your partner goes missing, they're at least going to check you out. I think in the fictional version of this story, you know, if we were writing that, Don's appearance at at the eleventh hour would, uh, you know, this he would have brought some sort of piece of evidence that would be critical to the narrative and. You know, in the last reel of the film, this is how uh, Sarah finds out that it was actually this other killer or whatever. Right. Um, But that's just not the way real life works. I think overall it was interesting to hear from him because we hadn't, but it's not really, you know, it wasn't a game changer. Don seems to be just an okay guy. All right. Well, let's move on to another new voice that we heard from. Uh, Sarah heard from somebody last weekend. Josh, friend of Jay's that she hadn't heard from, and she describes hearing this guy's perspective of Jay's perspective. Um, we first hear that Josh is was work, worked with Jay at the porn store, was, quote, not close friends, but he would sometimes give Jay rides and would hang out and smoke weed. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It sounds a little bit like everybody's relationship with Jay that we've heard about. Uh, why don't you, let's, let's just, just start talking about this. Uh, Laura, talk, talk to me about what you felt when you sort of heard this new Jay story sort of coming out. Well, I just, I feel like there's so many different Jay stories. And I, I go back to, you know, the episode, What's the Deal with Jay? I don't think we're ever going to know, you know, what's the deal with Jay. And I, I guess I have a hard time believing as I'm listening to this that he's scared of, you know, these these people, these, quote, people that are in the parking lot. And I, I, I almost like spit out my drink when he came out with the West Side Hitman. Right. It was like, um, it was like The Wire was suddenly a part of, yeah. of this podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, so Adnan is connected to the West Side Hitman, which doesn't even sound like a real person. Um, I mean, it was interesting to have this other perspective, but it just... I feel like everything about Jay is so inconsistent that it just muddies the waters for me even more, trying to figure out what really might be the truth with Jay. Right. Now, from a storytelling perspective, Kevin, um, the one thing I heard Sarah doing here, which we haven't heard her do before, was we really heard her digging at somebody on the phone. You know, he was saying that, you know, Jay had never told him Adnan's name. And she was like, and when he said he thought it was Adnan, she was like, but how do you know that for sure? I mean, she, it felt like she was our surrogate asking what we were thinking and asking what we would ask. And I'm not sure if we've heard that before. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that, um, you know, with all these other dozens, I'm sure more than hundreds of interviews that she's done over a year, over the year, um, that she probably was harder and pushed and, and that just wasn't the tape. Josh's story is, is you know, 
it's it's weird. I mean, if if Jay were really scared of this uh, Pakistani mafia that's coming to get him, uh, Adnan wouldn't need Jay for the crime. Um, so I don't really know what to make of Josh's story. I mean, it's very conceivable, too, that Jay said, hey, man, I'm on this podcast and millions of people think I did it. Could you drop a dime and tell them I didn't? It's just hard to know. Right. What were you going to say, Toby? I thought this was a really important part because, you know, this, this whole thing has been in some ways a two-person story where we've heard a lot about Adnan but not very much about Jay. So hearing from somebody else talk about how, you know, what his attitude was and how he was behaving after Hayes' murder uh, I thought was really interesting. I also thought that, you know, if you're involved in something like that at age 19 or 20, um, plus you're smoking a lot of weed and, you know, living this fairly marginal existence, working at a porn store, that that being paranoid is is seems like kind of a natural thing. That's not surprising <laughs> to me at all. So when he's like, oh, man, there's there's people in that white van and they're waiting for me and I can't leave <laughs> – you know, I, it's easy for me to imagine that's an accurate depiction of his demeanor, um, whether or not it's it's justified is a, is a completely different uh, situation. All right. Well, I'm going to lay out some of the, I, for me, the inconsistencies that bubbled up in this part of the episode that I think maybe Sarah was using this interview as, as an opportunity to point out again some of these inconsistencies. One of the things I wondered is, if Jay knew the cops were coming for him, why would he go to a work shift by himself to begin with? Like, you know, he's going to work, but he knows the cops are coming. Another one is, uh, obviously, the West Side Hitman one, uh, that the white van never comes up in his interviews with police. And he's telling his friend that he works with that this white van across the street is afraid of, you know, the people in it. Um, finally, the other thing that really sort of popped out to me, but then Sarah sort of left it unaddressed, was that Josh said at first... Jay, soon after the crime, was saying he was scared about his fingerprints and DNA being evidence that could catch up with him. And then after, as we, as the weeks sort of passed by, the conversation shifted to, "I'm scared of all of these other amorphous people." There's something to me about the fingerprints and DNA part of it because it happened sooner to the crime. Is that more likely what he – I don't know. What do you think, Laura? It could be more likely that he was more involved in the actual crime as we've kind of suspected all along or – you know, one of the things that kind of comes to me as we're looking at these strange stories he's telling and his inconsistencies and his fear – is this sort of suspicion I've had that there's a third person that we're never going to know who this third person is, somebody else that was involved in this. And maybe these are sort of clues into that person's existence because Adnan, you know, may be who he's using as his scapegoat and using as the person that he is saying he's afraid of, but he's actually afraid of this other person who's a legitimately scary person um, that he's not mentioning. So, um yeah, it just it with Jay. I, just, I don't even know, but I agree with Toby. I mean, I think he's just you know completely paranoid and smoked up all the time. What What about that? He he later said he didn't know the cops were coming at trial, and that he told this guy that the cops are coming. Yeah. Is that I mean, that's like another weird inconsistency. Yeah, he's just got so many inconsistencies. I, I feel like I need a flow chart to keep up with them. I mean, it could they be, exist on the internet. Yeah, the <laughs> it, it could be short-term memory loss. I mean, that could be the most you know boring answer for all of this, or it could be that he's just scrambling to get himself out of the middle of whatever he got into. Right. So, Toby, I have to ask you as a, as a fiction author, would you ever write a character that uh, made up things he didn't do so consistently that everyone who knows him says that he always he's always making up things he didn't do. But then we're supposed to sort of believe is a good guy who can't do any bad things. Like, is that a character that you would write or is it just too much? I mean, tell me what you think about that as a character. If Jay is that character sort of as we've heard about him. Uh, yeah, it's sort of the boy who cried wolf, right? It's, uh, you know, he's, he's unreliable. Um, you know, everybody, I, when I was going back and listening to different parts of... Uh, of different episodes, everybody says Jay lies. He just lies, uh, but they think he's 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 a nice guy. So, I, yeah, I think he's uh, you know in a in a, a work of fiction. I think he'd be a great character. You know, it, it's sort of reaping what you sow when you when you live a life where you're you're constantly lying or playing up your part in different things. A lot of people say you know he he, he would make up things about himself. You know, he would say he was involved in something or he did something when he didn't do it. Like that was one of the things he would do to lie. 
so when you know it does come time when when something really is going on, it, it, but people just disregard you because they're so used to you, you know, being full of it. Right. You know, why would you ask somebody like that to help you commit a murder? I mean, I don't know. That's one of the questions that I have, sort of. You well, know. I don't. I, how how well did Adnan even know him? I mean, I think that was part of the question. Is you know, Jay's like, you know, why would he get in touch with me? And people are like, well, they didn't seem like they were that close. And then there was you know some speculation about well. Jay was kind of a shady guy, and Adon probably wanted a shady guy to help him bury a body. Right, right. Um, let's move on to the sort of meaty middle of the episode, which will I'll sort of lump these three chapters together. It's the new look at old evidence, the speculation, and Dana's logic. Okay. There was a part at the beginning of this section which potentially could have been like a giant narrative turning point in the middle of the final episode of this series. Kevin, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, it was a very interesting uh, moment in Sarah's telling it because we as the audience have been led to believe this story is either about (coughs) Jay is lying or Adnan is lying. And that is sort of mentally where we've been the whole time with the narrative. Who is lying? And to throw out the idea, maybe it's both of them. I think this is sort of like, whoa, This is not a narrative direction that we have, at least I hadn't thought of. And it does kind of, well, it opens new questions. You know, we we do know for a fact that Jay was involved. He did know where the car was. We know that. And then there's, you know, all this other, you know, things that we hear about. God, Adnan just has a whole lot of bad, bad luck. We'll get to the bad luck, but that, that, that either and was based on a new look at the call logs and sort of the timeline and that it looks like maybe Adnan and Jay drove downtown, you know, in the middle of the day, the 12, the noonish part of the day, near to where the part where Hayes' car would later be found. Now, we know Hay was alive at this point, so we know this you know, wasn't tied to the murder, but that... You know, they have different stories about what they did before he dropped him at school, you know, the Security Square Mall story versus, you know, the other story. And then that it looks like they actually did do something that was pretty concrete. Did this stick out to you at all as a big narrative turning point, Toby? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in fiction, this makes complete sense. You know, I mean, I think you get towards the end of the book and that's that's the twist is, you know, is it is it Jay, is it Adnan? Well, no, it was the two of them together and that they're, you know, they're playing, you know, some kind of game with 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 the police to try to try and stay out of trouble. So, I, you know, in, in the in, in fiction logic, it makes total sense. Um, in real world logic, I, I'm, I'm not quite as sure that they would come up with some kind of diabolical plot that. That, that would work that way. Well, the phone records have always bothered me. I know this is one of the first cases, I think, in Maryland where they actually used cell phone technology in a case. And, you know, if it was today, you know, the defense would have gotten their own cell phone expert to look at this. And when I was listening to this um, episode and it came out, you know, the prosecution only referenced four of these phone calls during the trial. Well, that's because the other ones weren't helpful to their theory. And, you know, when you're involved in a case, whatever side you're on, really what you're trying to do is look at the facts you have and how they can fit with your theory of the case. And, you know, I really now hearing that there was more, you know, inconsistencies in where these people were, I'm thinking, why did Adnan's attorney not point out more of the inconsistencies in their timeline of that day? Because it would have cast so much more doubt on what was actually happening leading up to this whole incident. That's right. And then, of course, talking about that inconsistencies in the call log, it brings us back to this other mysterious character, which we really heard a lot about at the beginning. And this, for me, was the minus half point to a point on this episode, the Jen question. This is a person who arguably has been as an inconsistent provider of information to the police, to sort of the narrative of the story as anyone else. And this question that Julie was asking, these questions she was asking about the calls to Jen's house. You know, why would Adnan have called the landline at Jen's house when the whole purpose of him giving Jay the cell phone was so that he would have the cell phone and he could reach him on it? You looked like you felt like a lot of relief like or something when I talked about that. Yeah, because it goes back to my sort of feeling that there's a third person involved. So perhaps the third person had the phone. And why would 
uh, Jay have called the landline to Jen's house with the cell phone if he w- was in Jen's house at yeah. the same time. The the timeline is really weird. I've checked the maps this on the serial website of here's the locations and here are the cell towers. And I think the thing I walked away with was th- the cell phone from 1999 is not a GPS, but it's a you know it's a rough estimation of where it was. And we said the person making the call, it's Jay or whatever, was supposed to be here but it was there they have to come to the conclusion that the phone was here or there and who had the phone at a particular moment is is undetermined but to say oh well he's supposed to be in lincoln park but the thing pings way over here um I, you know i think that, that that just says it doesn't mean that jay isn't here or adnan isn't there it really just means that whoever has the phone and it could have been passed around which is the thing they brought up the phone is someplace else for whatever reason. Yeah, but Toby, we know that they both dug in, uh, both Jay and Jen, on different versions of this story. You know, Jen, uh, Sarah points out, they both dig in on their on their versions. Jen says, Jay was definitely in my house until 3.45 or 4 o'clock. I saw him with the phone. I have a picture of it on the table. We drove around the next day to dump all of his clothes. And, and Jay's story is, like, completely different. And which is the utility of which lie? Did that stick out for you? Uh, I guess it did in a way. I mean, at this point, I kind of feel like there's so many uh, just sort of slightly different narratives being given by different people, and you try and figure out, well, why, you know, why would this person put this slant on it? Why would this person put that slant on it? And um, you know, it wasn't immediately clear to me like who gained an advantage through their story. I mean, it just seemed like another thing. And, I, and again, I don't know, you know, the passage of time and, and, and you, you sort of cement things into your mind about what happened when. I, I didn't fixate on this part of the podcast too much. It seemed like it was another example of where you couldn't get like a real solid, uh, conclusive answer to a question. But there seemed to be an awful lot of communication with Jen before and after the supposed time of the murder, which is really <laughs> peculiar. And I don't think if there's two characters that we really didn't hear enough about, it's Jen and Stephanie, who are the, the, the ladies associated with Jay. And we didn't hear anything other than, um, you know, this piece of audio tape at trial where we hear Adnan's attorney screeching, Jay, about, you know, what if you were stepping out? I mean, it was just, it was like, you know, your ears wanted to bleed. Um, but other than that, you know, we never, like, sort of went down the, 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 the road of, you know, what are these other women doing in, in this story? And there seems to be a lot of communication with them. Well, That's my loose end. I, yeah. I think it speaks to potentially Jay's motive. Is that what we're, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, and it's funny you say it, because this is one of my, I made a big note. What is the deal with Jen? I feel like we needed more time devoted to her because it is it's odd so she's home what on college break she's a sorority girl she's hanging out with Jay all the time you know I, I had a note here I'm thinking are they is this who Jay is having his secret affair with and she does seem to be very involved in that day's activities in what was going on and I really want to know more about her um, to find out you know was she involved in this somehow who knows but there's something we're not getting about Jen we really sound like the internet right now. Yes. But that's okay. This is our podcast. Well, I, I assume we also sound like what Sarah admits is their in-office speculation. Yeah. And I think when they go on mic, they are very reserved about speculating on mic. And she says that they are. But even when we hear them doing that chatter, I have to believe their chatter in their office sounds a lot more like our chatter right now. And and I, I had one more thing about Jen. Yes, as I've, I, she's the only one who gives the prosecution the motive. She's the only one out of all these people that Sarah spoke with that says Adnan says that Hay broke his heart, and that's hearsay at best. Because did she hear that from him or from Jay? That's the only place we get a motive in this entire story, which seems pretty weak. So this is sort of where we get into that speculation and. Um, you know, so we'll get first to the the first theory. Maybe there was something to that motive. And uh, Julie, I believe, sort of unpacks this idea that maybe the breakup didn't really he didn't believe the breakup because he they hadn't been in school for a couple of weeks together. They arrived after the New Year's. He's absent a couple of days. So maybe the full import of the breakup sort of hit him then. Hold water with anyone. The idea of that I mean, it's possible. 
Well, it sort of speaks to that simmering rage that Charles Ewing talked about last week, right? You know, I don't, I'm not sure that heartbreak follows logic, you know. I mean, it could be the kind Good of point. thing where, you know, he thinks he's cool with it. He shows up to school, sees her, and is like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not over it yet. And I think they also unpack the idea that you can't look at someone's possible motives, emotions at the time that it's not evidence, and it really is only speculative. Um, so maybe he was more heartbroken <coughs> than he let on. It, it doesn't make him any more or any less likely um, the perpetrator of this crime based on the evidence. Okay, so let's move on to uh, the Mr. Spock of the serial team, as Sarah calls her, Dana. For uh, We've heard only her voice like one really notable time before, before now, and uh, now we hear sort of her bad luck Chuck version of this narrative. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, Toby, talk about that. I really like this part, too, um, in that, again, it kind of moves away from Adnan as being sort of a charismatic, sort of nice guy, and it says, well, let's look at what actually happened, and how plausible is it that Adnan was not involved given, you know, all these different things. I mean, there's these coincidences, there's bad luck, like all these things kind of had to come together for him to end up being on the stick for this murder. I, I like the fact that it was really focused on events and what little evidence we had rather than sort of a personal attitude towards whether Adnan could possibly do it or, could, or, or was incapable of doing it based on uh, his personality. Laura, did you think the bad luck Dana narrative held water? It did. I mean, it reminded me of, you know, when I was doing defense work, this is something I would do in cases as you're getting ready for trial. You know, attorneys are always very gung-ho. And this is, you know, I kind of would think like a juror. And this is the type of information you might go through to say, okay, we've got this, we've got this, we've got all these bad facts how are we going, how, how can we rationalize these bad facts and put them in a way that makes sense? And that's what I came away from with this thinking. I mean, it, it, it does seem like a lot of bad facts that are very hard to reconcile in a way that makes sense. What do you think, Kevin? I think it's probably the strongest <coughs> piece of discussion against Adnan. And it really sort of made me, I'm in the um, I don't think Adnan did it camp. But it was really the thing that was sort of the hardest for me to say, wow, she's absolutely right. You know, that was a whole lot of just coincidental bad luck that is really kind of in the real world hard to explain. And, you know, I guess then it makes you think, well, gosh, he was really insistent about Jay taking his car to get Stephanie a, a birthday present. And then he wants Hay to give him a ride. I mean, that's why that's how he gets into Hay's car is getting rid of his own car. And, you know, maybe it wasn't for nefarious reasons. Maybe he really just wanted to have a heart-to-heart with her. But, man, that is, it, you know, when you're pragmatic and logical, it's like that. that is a hard thing to explain. Well, I have a question. Let's take – I'm not saying that Adnan was wrongly convicted. I don't know for sure. I, know I, have, I have feelings, but I don't know. If we take another wrongly convicted person, um, you know, and take their case and look at it, can we say that, like, a lot of wrongly convicted people are there because of a chain of incidents that were basically bad luck, wrong place, wrong time, wrong friend, wrong what, – what do you think? Laura, you used to do this kind of work. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, I think people that are you know, within the criminal justice system that have had experience being arrested and going through the court system do find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time a lot. Um, that's sort of where they – land. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they maybe don't make the best choices and get themselves into situations that they didn't mean to. Um, but for whatever reason, that's where they are. Here's, here's the other question I have, because the list that Dana ran down, particularly for me, sort of like the car thing, the ride thing, you know, asking hey for the ride. These were um, the results of statements that people had given, that they had seen Adnan do this. And then we hear Jay's sort of complete narrative Knowing what we've seen of sort of, you know, the cops and of, you know, prosecutorial stuff, you know, is Jay's narrative fitting the facts? Give, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what came first, the, the, the list of facts that Dana presents, you know, Adnan asked Hay for a ride or Jay saying Adnan's plan was to ask Hay for a ride all along. Maybe someone told you. Know, I don't know. I mean, is that clear to anybody else? That's sort of how that all played out. No, no, not. And you have to remember, too, Jay's story changed 
several times. I mean, when you look at the layout of sort of his first story to his second story, I mean, he one time it was on the street, one time, you know, next time it's at Best Buy, the next time he goes to a, a, a mall with Adnan, and the next story he's at a completely different shopping mall. And then at the end, he's he didn't go to the shopping mall with Adnan, he went with Jen's brother. I mean, it's all over the place. And, you know, I mean, to answer your original question about when you look at any case where someone is allegedly wrongly convicted, are there holes? There were way more holes in this story than the average cases seem to be what the experts say. That's what Jim Tranum said, that this was murkier and uglier and more complicated than other cases, which for me felt good to hear. I felt like, oh, we're not looking too much into this. This is complicated. So that sort of brings us back, speaking of holes, and brings us back to evidentiary stuff to the Innocence Project. Finally checking back in again. Uh, I see, like, you're smiling, you're nodding. Uh, Laura, you were relieved to hear from them again, yes. I'm assuming, yes. Yeah, I was, the, I, you know, I think I had said previously, I waited to hear what they were up to. And I think this is interesting, this serial killer angle that they have working and the DNA testing. And, um, you know, it still doesn't explain Jay's role in all of this, uh, if this, in fact, was the work of a serial killer. Um, but it certainly gives you something to think about that actually can make sense, that gives you sort of a, a satisfying ending that I think we'd been waiting for. And you know, you look back at, you know, we were talking about wrongfully convicted uh, people, and a lot of those cases hinge on DNA evidence that wasn't tested at the time, and years later, they do DNA testing. What did you think of sort of the turn of events of the introduction of Ronald Lee Moore as a potential suspect by the Innocence Project, Toby? Well, I just think about what what are they trying to accomplish? And it seems like the Innocence Project, what they really want to do is get that DNA tested. So whether the serial killer theory is plausible or not, um, I think for them, it just needs to be plausible enough that the DNA gets tested, and then and, and that's what they're they're after. That's the aim. The aim isn't to pin it on Ronald anymore. The aim is to get that DNA run. Right. I, I mean, I don't think I don't think having a uh, a decision that it was definitely this Ronald Lee Moore is necessarily what they're after. Right. Right. Yeah. Toby's absolutely right. I mean, I think that's when Deirdre says big picture. I, you, you know, Sarah's like, oh, but what about Jay in the car and all this other stuff? She's basically saying, we found a way, we believe, to get the DNA tested. And I don't know what's, you know, I, I would like to know what's underneath Hay's fingernails. Yeah. I mean, really, because um, when it's up close and personal and you're strangled like that, there is no way she didn't reach out and do something to the person who's, who's choking her. Right. And I think that's what it is. I don't I don't believe for a minute it's the serial killer that just randomly picks this girl and buries the body and dumps the car someplace that Jay would know about. I don't believe it, but I do believe it's their way in. I thought, uh, you know, as a radio producer, as a writer, that this part of this episode, the call with Deidre and then the talk with Adnan when she says that he gave his assent for this to move forward, was one of the best sort of story-crafted moments in the whole series. Um, Adnan agrees to go ahead and and let the DNA test happen. He says, you know, you hear him telling Sarah, I said, look, Miss Deidre, which was so, it sounded so young to me. You know, I want to do this test. And then he says, there's nothing about my case that I'm afraid of. Mm -hmm. Powerful thing to say, Sarah leaves a long beat there (laughs) and then brings in sort of like the poignant serial music. And you have a minute to sort of... What does that mean that he would say that? Did did you did you feel the same way? Yeah, yeah. It is, he knows that it's not going to be his DNA under her fingernails. Um, and I guess for me, back to the serial kill thing. I, you know, I think it's just the romantic notion of having a neat, tidy ending that I sort of fixated on that. But I do, I, I agree with you, Rebecca. That there's just the way that that whole ending played out. I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. I feel okay now. It's been 16 years and no one tested this, he says. And he sounds like he's like crying, holding back tears or crying yeah. when he says that. Yeah. What do, what do you think, Toby? Do, do, you, do, you, do you think that that's sort of like the, the storytelling, was that effective? Did it, did, it, did it balance the list of Adnan's bad luck stuff? Did it bring you, did you sway back and forth in your feelings about the case itself because of the way she told the story in this episode? I guess I didn't. And, you know, I, I sort of feel in general that, Trying to find out his absolute guilt or innocence based on a podcast is pretty tough. What I did like about this is that it was a chance to really hear the toll that it takes on on Adnan, um, not just kind of 
I mean, I, th- I assume part of it is going through all this stuff again, and I'm sure having his hopes raised to a certain extent that this is going to exonerate him. Um, and then, you know, he's spent 15 years behind bars, and they've had this DNA evidence, and it's just been there. And, you know, they could have done it 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever. So he's just, you know, looking back and seeing that his life is really uh, a good chunk of his life may have been taken from him just because nobody want, nobody got around to uh, to doing this. So I think the way in which it made us more aware of sort of what Adnan's going through, guilty or innocent or, or whatever, it's, it's, it's got to be a, a very uh, difficult emotional time for him. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of Adnan's telling Sarah to end it right down the middle? Well, I think it was very funny in the beginning where she, he was like, seriously, you don't have an ending to this? Which is what everybody else is saying. Really? Are you going to have an ending to he- this? Hearing Adnan almost speak for us was yeah. really an interesting moment. Like, he's like, dude, really? We've been talking for a year. You don't know how you're going to end this story? And then at the end, he says, I think you should play it down the middle, which I think is very much in line with the Adnan character would say. He's like, you know, I, I've made a connection with you, Sarah. I think that, I, you know, you're going to get damned if you go left and damned if you go right. Play it down the middle. What do you mean when you say Adnan character? Well, look, we have to, you know, we're looking at this as a story. And, you know, Adnan obviously is a character. We, we've done, we've, we've heard things from Sarah that, you know, talk about his personality and his state of mind as, long, as well as other people. And, you know, the reason why there are, are people out there who think that Adnan is innocent has less to do with what the facts are that have been presented and has a lot to do with all these sort of character testimony that he's a good guy and you hear him talk, you know, laughing about, you know, how the T-Mobile person said, well, just come into the store and we'll fix your cell phone. And like, I really can't. And, uh, you know, I make great stuff at breakfast and I've really kind of come to terms with the fact that, you know, I'm going to spend the rest of my life here. Uh, you know, Adnan is a good guy, regardless of what he may have done when he was 17 years old. And so that just sort of, again, sort of just summed up for me, you know, their relationship. And a lot of this story is about, not about what Jay did and not about, you know, Mr. S finding the body. It's about Sarah and Adnan. Well, it brings the question, is this story, and I'd love to hear all three of your takes on this, is this Adnan's story or is this... Sarah Koenig's story. I think it's a little bit of both, but I think mostly, like I said in the beginning, it's a story where we're following along Sarah as the protagonist of this story, much like we would follow along with a fictional mystery sleuth. And through it's her own journey of self-discovery. Okay. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, I agree with Laura. I mean, I, I, you know, the only way we see Adnan is through Sarah. So a lot of it is accompanying Sarah as she builds a picture in her own mind of who Adnan is. What you what you get of him, you get through that filter, mm-hmm. with a with a few rare exceptions, such as the one we just talked about, where you feel like you can get some insight just through the tone of his voice. Right, right. What I think it's him? definitely Sarah's story. Although I think we did not realize that in the beginning. I think you have to go along, and then you realize, you know, she's Miss Marple, she's Nancy Drew, she's Veronica Mars. She's trying to figure out what this is about, and it's it's all about her doubt, and then about her conviction. And 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 I think in the end, we know it's her story because the final scene is hers. She said something really revealing on an interview she did with Audie Cornish on All Things Considered and NPR. Um, Audie tried to address some of the criticism toward around the podcast and said to her, um, you know, you talk about I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, she said something like you talk about how you feel about Adnan. And as journalists, you know, you're not supposed to have feelings or say you have feelings. And Sarah Koenig said, well, I think that's fake. You know, I reported this story for a year, and that's what this looks like. And to not show people what it looks like when you actually have been talking to somebody for a long time and building a relationship, that's artifice. That would be fake. So It goes to the transparency that she's actually bringing to this. You know, if she did 12 episodes and was like John Stossel and you like pretended, she pretended like she had no point of view or that her point of view didn't shift, I think it's way more transparent to say, at this point, I'm really wondering about this guy. Right. At this point, I'm, I'm this. And I also think that's why this is a different kind of storytelling. Right. It is so different. It's different than anything that's ever been presented 
on the radio or, or as a podcast. And I think that's what really has intrigued and captured people. I think it's also freaked people out. Right. This idea, this real time discovery, the influence of outside people, it wouldn't work for fiction. It wouldn't work for a book. It's brand new. And so I sort of am in the middle. I think it's Adnan's story. But I think Sarah is just not afraid to show that she was it was her choice to do it. She was doing it. I I think we sort of saw both. Um, So let's move on to sort of uh, how she ends it, because I think it was very interesting. He tells her, go to right right down the middle. Then she says, I'm not going to go right down the middle. And then I think it's debatable as to whether or not she did go right down the middle. Toby, what do you think of her wrapping it up with what she decided, what she thinks? Give me your take on that. Well, I think this is really the reason why I gave the the episode an eight rather than a you know a nine or a ten. And you know, she at first she gets out of the way that she would have to vote to acquit, which I think is what a lot of people probably think after listening to the whole series. But then directly counter to what Adnan clearly wants to get out of this is she she basically falls back again on he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy who could do this this sort of thing. I, I've talked before about how I find that I, I, I don't find that very satisfying uh, based on the amount of, of work she's done and the amount of uh, interviews she's had, you know, in the end just saying, well, he just seems too nice. Well, she does also provide a list of what we know about Adnan and the murder, which is zero, has zero items on it. Kevin, what were you going to say? say one, there's only really one thing, and it's that, it's that Jay knew where Hayes' car was. It's the only— Wait, but that doesn't say anything about— No, it doesn't say anything about Adnan, Adnan but he, she did point out it's the only— piece of evidence that no one can contradict and it's right it's the start it's not the end but that is the only thing we really know the cell phone towers and the breakup and the diaries and everything like that that's the only thing that we can really hang our hat on that we know so what did you think of the ending as a storytelling measure was it satisfying for you it was and i was worried that it wouldn't be and it actually very much was and that's when i knew this was sarah Kane's story you know, it's like, where where do we, you know, when you're structuring this, what's the goal of the story? It's, every story is very simple, and it's to get from this point to that point. Sarah is going out to look at this case, and we think to acquit Adnan. Mm-hmm. We think that she's there to do 12 episodes of proving that he's guilty. That That's not what we believe as readers, as listeners, as an audience. And the fact that she goes through all of this and if the goal was, like I said, if it was Adnan's story, the only way you get a satisfying ending if he's walking out of jail tomorrow. And for Sarah's story, it's, it is the story of doing this and the frustration and the self-doubt. And she, and she states that, I think, very beautifully. And that's why I think it's her story. And that's why it was well done. Sounds like you appreciate the writing as well. I, well, yeah. I mean, that's why I'm here. You know, it's very easy when you're writing fiction to sort of wrap it up in a bow, you know, and the epilogue is Adnan getting out and getting a job at the porn store or whatever the heck, you know, uh, going back to the mosque. Uh, but that doesn't happen. It's not, and it's if it does happen, it's not going to happen in a in a tight, fast way in in the next you know week. He's not going to be home for Christmas. Right. So what do you think, Laura, of the ending, how, how Sarah wrapped it up, how she wrote it, how she talked about it? It was satisfying for me. I, I looked at it, I guess, more philosophically. I looked at it more as sort of a statement on, you know, reflection on human nature and the justice system and really this realization that, you know, no matter how much you investigate a case, and I've been in this situation myself, you're really never going to know all the facts. And in most cases, most of the people that are involved are telling a version of the story that puts them in the best light, but it may not be the accurate, complete, true version. And I think what I came away from with the ending was like, yeah, that's right. I mean, you're really never going to know somebody's true nature or motives. You're going to know what they want you to know. All right. One final thing. Uh, Last couple of weeks, we've said rate the episode one to 10. A new exercise. We're rating cereal season one, one to 10. Uh, Laura, give it a score. Tell us why. I'll go with nine. Um, I I felt overall I loved the entire series. There was only one episode, the episode we discussed last week, that I really didn't feel as engaged in. Um, I'm glad the ending uh, had something of a satisfying angle for me, and I can't wait to see what she does next. Uh, I think I'd give it a 9.5. I really – it's been a a long time since I've, you know – 
been counting the days to the next episode of something, and that that really that really happened here. I think she dealt with uh, a lot of sort of complicated issues in a way that w- wasn't sensationalist. Um, that, I, I just I I really really enjoyed it. Instead of a number, I'm going to give a grade. I'm going to give it an A plus. In the sense that Sarah That's Kane, breaking the rules. All right. Well, <laughs> she's going to get a, uh, her grade point average is a 98.0. Okay, okay. But, yeah, I'm in line with the rest of the writers on the panel. I think that, you know, overall it was an ambitious project of storytelling. She did it with, at times with a lot of pathos. Um, she did it with a lot of, uh, you know, solid research. And I think in the end, every story is either comedy or tragedy. And this is tragedy. Mm-hmm. When all of us sort of go away with the idea that perhaps there's an innocent man in jail and Sarah can't do anything about it. That isn't really where I thought or I wanted the story to go, but it did and did so beautifully. And, you know, good luck with season two topping this. Well, she invented something brand new, so you've got to give her 10 for that. Laura Bricker, true crime writer, former defense investigator, thank you so much for joining us for these conversations. Thank you. Toby, fiction writer, crime lover, never has to talk to anybody real to write your books. Your insights have been incredible. Thank you so much for joining us for these conversations. I've enjoyed it. And Kevin, my co-author, we've argued a lot about Serial in the last few weeks. I'm glad I finally got you to listen. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast with me. Thank you for having me. I'll see you at dinner tonight. (laughs) You can visit our new website, crimewriterson.com, to find the episodes we recorded, as well as links to all of our books and more. One favor to ask of you listeners, if you downloaded this podcast on iTunes, please leave a review, good or bad. Remember to keep your subscription. If you subscribed, you might just get a holiday surprise in your feed next week. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers on Serial. Thanks so much for listening. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.